Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You might know this week's guest from movies like Wet Hot American Summer and Wanderlust, or from TV shows like Children's Hospital and The Other Two. But if there is one role that rises above the rest, it's probably Ron Donald from Party Down. At Party Down, we have a simple motto. It's your party. You deserve to enjoy it. But how are you going to enjoy the party if you're worried about whether the shrimp cocktail's been sitting out too long or is there enough ice or do the guests think the party is lame or are they stealing stuff or are they going through the medicine cabinet because they're nosy or because they think they might find something that'll give them a rockin' buzz. I used to do that last thing. Not anymore. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was how the world met Ken Marino as Ron Donald on the very first episode of Party Down back in 2009. Party Down is kind of the quintessential cult hit. Almost no one watched it when it was on Stars for two seasons over a decade ago. But in the years since, it has become so beloved and obsessed over by a certain type of comedy fan that the third season is finally making its long-awaited premiere this Friday, February 24th. When we had Adam Scott on this podcast a year ago this week, he was just coming from his first week of shooting on the new season and was practically vibrating with excitement about getting the old gang back together. Adam's character, Henry, might be the main protagonist of the show, but in many ways, Ken's character, Ron, is its comedic center. Few TV performances have made me laugh as hard as he has on this show. I've seen most of the new season already, and I can tell you that he's just as funny as ever. From his earliest days as a member of the sketch comedy group The State, Ken has excelled at playing a specific type of insecure doofus. And in this conversation, we break down how he came to expertly embody that persona. I think you are really going to enjoy this one, especially if you're as excited for the return of Party Down as I clearly am. So let's get to it now. Here's me with Ken Marino. Good to good to see you. Uh, um, I was looking back. I think we we met at some other two event uh, press day a while ago, um, but it's been a little while. So good to see you again. It's nice to see you as well. Um, so yeah, um, I, I was also uh, realizing that it's been about a year since we had Adam Scott on the podcast. Don't and, like him. Oh yeah, yeah. Me neither. I mean, he was he was okay to me, but no. Not a fan. And he was, when I talked to him, he was coming directly from filming, I think the first day or the first week or something of this new season. Um, so obviously this has been uh, in the works for a while. Um, sure has. How, how are you? And not just that, it's been in the works for 13 years. Um, how are you feeling now that, you know, Party Down season three is is just days away from premiering? Other than not liking Adam, I'm <laughs> very excited about it. Unfortunately, Adam had to be there. Apparently, he's got a part. He's like a, has a, a significant part in the series. Yeah, I'd say yours is a little more significant, but his is kind of significant. I think he's this. I mean, some some might I might even say he's the star of the show. No, I think you're all stars. Oh, that's sweet. We're all <laughs> stars. You all you all are more famous than you were when you did the first two seasons. That's for sure. Is that true? 
I, I think checked, so. Yeah, I haven't checked my star meter. Yeah, I guess yeah, it could go either way, but I think I think it's true. I think it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just figured I'd come out of the gate at, for each question talking about my um, my my hatred for Adam. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go over well, I think. But I'm going to just tell you the truth is I love Adam, and I have a bit of a crush on Adam. If, if we're if we're you know who doesn't uh, right like. It's just like, what's the deal with this guy? He's just really talented, and he's um, a handsome guy, and um, and then he's just a good a human being. Like, wh- who, what, what gives him? What, what's up? What gives him the right to do that? Yeah, and now we know he does drama too, which is a whole other thing. That was he's got like an Emmy nomination, I think, all. or something. He does it all. I don't like it. <laughs> I love it, and that's oh, the problem. That's the key. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what was it, what was it like to kind of, uh, to get back into this, uh, character of Ron Donald, who we all love so much and, um, you know, has so many problems. You know, when we finally, uh, got wind that we're actually doing it, uh, of course I had to go back and into my, uh, you know, my file cabinet of all the folders I have of the breakdowns of all the characters that I do. And I pulled out the <laughs> folder of Ron very thick folder many many yeah, pages probably one of the thickest ones yeah of research and and uh, just kind of <laughs> character study blew the dust off it and opened it up and man it you know it took me i'm going to say 6 7 8 months to to really get back into the headspace of who Ron is and uh, what he's all about uh, <laughs> and then once i did that i had to take another 11 12 months to sort of just uh uh, you know, stay in character. So I kind of understood his mindset. And then after that, um, I started doing sort of mock interviews as Ron. That oh, took yeah. me 12 months. And then Did once that, that happened, I was, I was locked in. I was locked in. Did that involve sleeping in a van or um, anything like all that? All of it. All of it. I slept in a van. I slept on top of a van. I slept under a van. I slept with a van. <laughs> which was the most uncomfortable part. It's and funny you talk about uh yeah the research and the and all of that because it, I was rewatching the pilot of the first season, and you kind of you come into it. There's already so much backstory about Ron the second we meet him. He's talking about how he used to be an alcoholic, how he's really cleaned up his act. You were kind of coming into that character. It wasn't just a, a blank slate. It was like this guy had a real life. That is true, and that is uh, uh, a wonderful thing about John M. Baum's writing is that he fills these characters up and makes them, um, gives them so many layers. And uh, the truth is, is it was fun getting to play a character like that back then. And it was even more fun getting to um, do him again, uh, however many years later. There's a lot of physical comedy with Ron. Um, Was that any, any more of a challenge for you after, uh, you know, almost a decade and a half? Okay. Um, (laughs) All right. I, I, that, I, was that harsh? I, I can, I, you know, I can read between the lines, pal. And uh, <laughs> the answer is yes and no. It was uh, a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I'm a little bit older. So <laughs> what? I still can move around. I'm not clearly, clearly. I'm, I, I'm just, I, you know, sometimes when you come at me, that's <laughs> that hot. Like you came in hot. 
Yeah, it's a little hot. I could have phrased answer, it as the uh, is, so impressive that you can still do all the physical comedy. No, give me the answer though. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, I broke several bones uh, during the during the uh, you know shooting. Uh, bruised a lot, bled a lot, bled out a couple of times. <laughs> Thank goodness the uh, the uh, on set medic was there to sew me up and apply a tourniquet. Yeah, um, I also love that. Sort of when we when we get into this new season. Most of the characters have moved on in some way. Uh, Ron seems pretty much uh, where we where we left him. Hey, oh, you want to see something so cool? Wow. Yeah, wow is right, huh? And this is just a prototype, Henry. I'm going to have a fleet of these, you know? I've upgraded the web page, so now you can leave a comment card on the web. <laughs> I'm meeting cool new chefs who are doing new foods. Foams, paste, vapors. Vapors. Savory vapors. Lobster smoke, clam mist. It's amazing. I mean... That's the thing. I always had a vision, but I never got to do it my way. You know, even when I was warehouse manager, I had to bow down to that boss. You know, you got to own, right? Otherwise, there's always someone up there messing with you. But as of tonight, I'm the owner. That's great, Ron. It is, right? You know, financially, prestige, but also knowing that if you work hard, the system pays off. That seemed right, didn't it? Yeah, it's not surprising, really, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's going to... If the show is called Party Down, and there's one character that's going to be a constant mm-hmm. of the Party Down uh, business and company, who who else would it be? I mean, Martin, sure. Yeah, but, him you know, too. I mean, Ron, I mean, Ron is just, uh, you know, where, where the hell's he gone? Yeah, he's, he's still there. Um, you know, we learned pretty quickly by the end of the first episode that... Um, you guys kind of worked uh, the whole COVID thing into it by showing how that affected him and the and the business, uh, not in a positive way. The catering business took a hit, I think. Yes, you know it was funny when we were shooting that, and I had a line. Uh, I've had COVID four times. Um, um, my my crush, uh, you know, was like maybe we should get one where you had it like twelve times, <laughs> and somehow we didn't do that. And I feel like <laughs> now with. Everybody getting COVID over and over again. Yeah, four times is like not that many now. <laughs> four times is not. At the time, we were like, oh, this is, that's a lot. Who's going to get COVID that's funny. four times? Yeah, yeah, 12 would have maybe hit harder. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really fun to just see everyone back together, obviously. Um, but then also sort of all the explanations of, of how their lives have changed or, or gone on. Um, the the way that uh, the show explains Lizzie Kaplan's absence, I thought was very funny. Um, because she's shooting in New York, uh, in this case, uh, for SNL, but she, I think actually was shooting in New York, uh, is why she couldn't be in the, um, in the series, um, in the season was life that, uh, imitating art, imitating life. Imitating yeah. Look at that. Imitating life, imitating. Art. I know she has talked about how, you know, desperately she wanted to do it and would love to, to come back. If you guys do more, was that, was that a tough piece? Do you think to have missing from the, uh, from the season? Yeah. It sucked. Lizzie. Lizzie was a huge, uh, huge part of why the first two seasons of Party Down were so special, so well, and the, you know the the chemistry and the relationship between Adam and and um, and Lizzie were you know great, and then also just the dynamic with all the other characters and who she was, just you know her, just how she played that character was it was it was a real bummer. I mean, she was she wanted to do it, we wanted her to do it. We were excited. It was going to happen, and then you know, because of 
COVID restrictions and shooting in a different part, you know, the other side of the, the United States and she just had a kid and like, you know, that's just, it just, it just didn't work out, but um, hopefully we'll get to do another season or something because that would be nice. Yeah. I think fans will at least appreciate that she's uh, mentioned prominently in that first episode and they don't just pretend that she never existed. Yeah. We wanted to, I guess, I mean, they wanted to, and, and to do an homage, you know, just kind of, you know, acknowledge her because she is, um, going back to the, you know, when the show started, uh, you know, about the 13, 14 years ago, how did the opportunity come your way? Were you uh, friendly with the creators or, or how did the how did the idea come to you to, to play this character? I was lucky enough to have been given a part by Rob Thomas and Ben Etheridge and John Embon, who were all working on uh, Rob's show, uh, Radical Mars. And they had given character Vinnie Van Lowe. Um, and while we were on set, Dan was telling me about uh, this script party down that they had shopped around and then it didn't, it, it was set up somewhere, but then it didn't go. He was telling me about the premise and I said, oh, I'd love to read the script. And so between takes, between setups, he gave me the uh, script and I had read it and I immediately went back to him with the script and I said, look, if you ever audition for Ron, please keep me in mind. I would love to audition for Ron because I have a I I have a take on him. I saw somewhere that you might have Steve Carell getting the office to thank for for getting the opportunity to play this character that they were kind of circling him for it at some point. I think that that's the case. I think that originally it was Rudd, and then they were circling Steve Carell, and then Rudd, um, you know, she star <laughs> got too famous. <laughs> And uh, and then Carell did the office, but you know, I, yeah. I, actually, the truth is, I don't know what happened with Rudd. I hope he. I don't know if he's in, even acting anymore. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that guy. I hope. I, I wish him well. Um, yeah, he was going to play uh, Henry Adam Scott's character, um, but then they they obviously decided to go with Adam. Um, what was your? You said you had a take on Ron that you felt like you really, you know, you got him in some way. What What was it about him that you felt like? you understood or, or could bring to that character? I mean, I just, I, I just felt like if you tap into the earnestness of the heart, of like the, the, the truthfulness of like his want to succeed and his wants to kind of, you know, he's not just an, he's not, he wasn't just an asshole. I didn't want him to, I you know, could, you could be easily play a boss that, 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 you know, it's just bugging everybody. Um, but I wanted to, I felt like you can also give him a really beautiful layer of, you know, um, that, that you, you can enjoy him and not just hate him. You can feel for him. I don't want to say that you always play a version of this, the same guy, but I, I think you would probably agree that you have a, a type that you have played a lot. Um, how would you describe the character that you're most often asked to play that people come to you and, and think of you for? Well, it would really depend on what point in my career I've, you know, yeah, uh, you feel like there's been an evolution there. Yeah, um, you know, earlier in my career, after I left the state, was playing a lot of the nice guy boyfriends that, that had some weird thing that made female character break up with him, and or <laughs> I was a regular on the show, and so I couldn't commit or whatever. And then at a certain point, right around Vinnie Van Lowe, right around What Hot American Summer, um, I started kind of tapping back into. Um, more charactery parts like I did in, you know, that I got to do in like the state, I sketch stuff. 
and I enjoyed that more. It was more fulfilling for me. Um, and what I found was um, I, my wheelhouse was either straight up asshole, asshole. I could be a real jerk. Uh, I was pretty good at that. Um, and then I also liked to play people who are slightly more misunderstood, come off as jerks, but are um, good natured or have a, a big heart. And so just to go back to what your question was, um, I, I, I like to play, I, I, I like playing in that uh, you know, ballpark of those type of characters. And, and, and I think to modulate like how much of a full asshole they are as opposed to how much of a good person they are and they're just, they're just awkward or um, socially not capable of, of, of communicating their true feelings. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I have a, a comfort zone, but I do like to, you know, but I do like to swing it the other way and, um, you know, just play straight up assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you seem like a very nice guy. Uh, do you feel like there's any part of yourself that is, that that's tapping into or, or, um, whether it's the asshole side or the sort of misunderstood <laughs> side, um, do you feel like you're, you're able to pull anything from your own personality or your own, uh, life when playing those kinds of characters or is it all just, you know, fun and games? I suppose it all comes from, a, you know, a real part of something in me, I guess there's elements of all of that uh, inside me. I'd like to think that you have to have all of those parts of you. And then you, if you're living in the real life, you, you course correct, or you not course correct, but you um, keep everything at bay or you, you realize that that's don't want to be an asshole. You'd be a yeah. That's kind of like the, that's kind of like the Larry David thing. Yeah. Which is what? Which is that he he talks about how you know the the character of Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm is sort of what he w would always want to say but doesn't say in real life. Yeah, I guess for me it's not like when I play assholes; those aren't things that I would want to say. Right. <laughs> um, but I know I have the ability to say them if I'm pushed into a corner or if if I'm if I if I have if my you know if the angel on my shoulder isn't saying hey chill out you know. Um, so, I mean, I think we all have all those different types of parts in us. And it's just about, um, you know, when you're acting, you tap into one of those and then you just make that the star of the show. So, you know, obviously coming back to party down after so long, uh, I know that, that you and, and Adam and other people have joked about sort of how few people watched it when it was on the first time around. And it's kind of amazing that it's had this life after, um, after it was on. Um, how are you sort of managing your own expectations for what season three will be? Because there's so much excitement, so much buzz, but you know, at the same time, it you know, it wasn't a show that was that was popular really when it was on the first time. Well, much like I don't have an understanding of how I'm perceived in this industry and in this town, I don't have a full understanding of how Party Down is perceived or understood in this town, and so I have no expectations in terms of uh, you know success or, or or failing it doesn't matter that doesn't matter to me uh, i think my approach to mental my mental approach to uh doing any project is is it something i like is it something that brings me joy 
Is it, is it a group of people that I want to spend time with? Um, do I really like the material and would I enjoy it? And, and whatever happens after that is beyond my control and not something I uh, really think about. So I'm not sure I can answer that question uh, in terms of what to expect. It's interesting you say that you don't know how you're perceived in the in the business because you know from from my from my perspective from the outside you work so much you're in so many hilarious projects that I love. Um, do you feel like that's a a problem that you do you feel like you need to understand how you are perceived in the business or do you just kind of put that aside and and not even worry about it? It's uh, an interesting question. I, I don't. I mean, I I don't know. I I mean, I don't. I would like to know. I, there's a part of me that at times would like to know how I'm perceived because I've been doing it. it it's weird. I've been around since I've been doing this since the state, you know, and which is you know ninety three, and so I've been around a long time. And there have been times when I've been doing a lot of stuff, and there's been times when I was just like hustling and struggling and trying to get the next gig. And, and now I'm in a place where like, I go back and look at my body of work. I'm like, Oh, wow. I, you know, been on a nice, you know, nice couple of things. And I've been involved in some things that I'm super proud of. And I've been involved in some things that people seem to, you know, like in the cult, you know, culty kind of things, which are my favorite things. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't. I. I. I can't help but think about it from time to time. The ego part of me. I guess I'm like, well, how do people think about you know me? But uh, I'm. I'm in a more comfortable place, in a better place. I think mentally when I'm not thinking about that, and I. I, I actively try not to think about that because I don't know the answer to it anyway. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, about the the whole cult hit thing because I think Party Down's a pretty um, quintessential version of that, and you've been in a lot of them. Um, but you said that those are your favorite things, so you don't have any feelings like, oh, I I wish I was in, you know, things that were not cult hits that were hit hits. I only wish that for financial reasons. I think. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I the freedom I've had to do the coolest, the, the things that I consider the coolest, right? The things that I consider are my, my favorite because I get to play characters that are fun and I get to be around other people that are uh, uh, really talented and funny and make me laugh and, and the material makes me laugh. A lot of those things are labors of love, right? Or are things that are under the radar, like The State, Red Hot American Summer, uh, you know, Burning Love, Children's Hospital, uh, you know, uh, the other two, you know, yeah. definitely put it down. It's basically, you're naming all of my favorite things. <laughs> well, I appreciate your taste and stuff. <laughs> no, um, but you know what I mean? Like, I, like, like if I, I've been given that gift of being able to do all those things because I haven't been on, I haven't, I haven't had the other gift of being on something that goes for whatever, six years. You know, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm set for, I'm set. So the trade-off is, uh, and I think it's a pretty damn good trade-off, is I get to be in some really cool project, Black Monday. You know, like I get to, and I get to play like all these different characters and different variations of me. And I get to take big swings at stuff. And at the end of the day, that's a nice job to have. 
Coming up, Ken takes us back to the earliest days of performing with the state at NYU, and later shares stories about some of his most memorable performances in Wet Hot American Summer, Role Models, Eastbound and Down, and more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, Wikihole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of The Last Laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with Ken's fellow members of the state, like my conversation with director David Wayne on the 20th anniversary of Wet Hot American Summer, and a very fun talk I had with the three creators of Reno 911, Thomas Lennon, Robert Ben Garant, and Kerry Kenny Silver, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Ken Marino. So we have to talk about the state because I I counted you're the sixth member of the state we've had on the podcast. Um, And I I hope to have more. Uh, David Wayne. Thomas Lennon. Robert Ben Garant. Carrie Kenny Silver. Huh? <laughs> oh God! Now I got to remember the last one. That's all right. I got to come Joe, up with it. Joe Latrulio. Joe Latrulio. I hate. I hate to forget him. <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm. A, I'm a big fan of of all of you guys, and um, and have been for a long time. Um, can you uh, can you take us back a little bit to uh, the story behind you joining the state as a as a young man at NYU? 
Yeah, I was at NYU um, and Todd Hollebeck, who founded the state, uh, was a friend of mine. Um, we, me and Todd and David Wayne were uh, a year older than everybody else, or you know, a, a grade older than everybody else. Um, and so Todd was like, I'm putting together this group. And I said, that sounds fun. I'd like to be in it. And he said, great, come to the auditions. I'll just uh, bring you to the front of the line. And I was like, great. And I came to the auditions and walked in and Todd's like, uh, you want to be in the group? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, great, you're in the group. And then, and then he, all these other people auditioned or walked in and maybe he had this similar conversation, conversation with them. Um, but then that group wound up being the state, which, um, if without them, I don't know what my career or what my, you know, professional life would have been like. They're so special. They're my brothers and sister, and I love them very much. And I try um, as much as possible to stay in touch with, uh, you know, all of them. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was, it was a special time. Um, goes back to what I was saying, which is like being around a group of people you love and that make you laugh and that inspire you and that make, you know, make you try to be better at what you do. I was in a sketch comedy group in college. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people were, um, but very few people um, end up having their, their sketch comedy group in college become an MTV show and lead to all of this. So what did you think when that happened? Were you, you know, kind of, could you believe that that was where that led? Whatever the, for whatever reason, the chemistry of that group was such that we all uh, pushed each other, inspired each other, and also felt like we, you know, should be doing this on a, a bigger stage anytime we were on a stage. And so whatever that bravado was or that, that swagger was, it helped us, uh, and we got very lucky. At MTV, and we were given this gift, and you know, we did a lot of good things with it, and then we also, you know, made a lot of mistakes, and that's one of the reasons that the state sort of stopped. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, it was we were very fortunate, very lucky to be given that opportunity, and I, I, I recognize that all the time. Was it the feeling of a, a band breaking up a little bit when the MTV show ended? Um, well, in my head, because I, I was maybe in denial, um, or maybe because we were all slightly in denial, uh, I always believed that we were just taking a break and not breaking up. Like we were like, um, we just, we, we, we stopped making money. I mean, we didn't, we never made a lot of money when we did that show. And, um, but we, we figured out how to make it work. And to, and to do it and, and live in Manhattan, you know, and then when we stopped making money, um, we all had to, we all had the um, cold reality of, uh, hey, we got to go out and get a job. And so we all had to go off and do our own thing, try to get to try to survive. And then whatever that bug that we got when we were working together we, we it, it stayed with us and we we all i think we all used each other as a way to motivate ourselves individually to um survive in this town and again we all got very lucky but i mean you know when you have people like Kerry kenny and tom lennon and you know mike black and show david Wayne, like every so fucking talented 
that um, I'm not surprised by any of their successes, success, successes. Um, but for me, and I think for everybody else, if, if they answered, if they answered truthfully, and maybe I'm crazy, is that we all cared about each other, but we were also incredibly competitive with each other. So if anybody had success, the other person or persons would be like, well, we got it. We, if they're doing it, we can do that. Let's mm, do it. Yeah. So, there's, so yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to that competition, right? Because it pushes you to, to do better, but also there creates can create conflict. Well, I would say this. Yes, but we, I feel like, certainly from my perspective, um, it, there was more pros to it than, than, than negatives. There were more pluses to it than negatives. Because, because we were competitive, but, but we still cared about each other. It was still a familial, brotherly, sisterly kind of like we cared about each other. I've worked with other people since then on projects where it wasn't that, that each person was for themselves and that was it. And, and it became toxic where I don't think the state really was. I mean, you know, of course, being with a group, you know, you had people fight and bicker, but like it wasn't toxic like that. Certainly. Yeah. I remember talking to David Wayne about those basically five or so years between the state ending and wet hot American summer as being a pretty challenging time for him. Um, did you feel, did you experience that too? What was it like when you went out on your own to into Hollywood and started just auditioning for things that weren't things you were written and that weren't with your friends and, and all that? It was scary for me. Um, I had some opportunities right out of the gate when I left the state or, you know, within a year and a half or so. And I came out here and I got into that groove of, of pilot season and show, you know, being on something that gets picked up. And, and so I, it was scary for me to be alone and to not have that safety net of uh, 10 other people that you trusted immediately and as friends. Um, so that was the scariest part for me. Um, and I, and I, but it made me realize how, how special that was and how much I valued their friendship and their creative collaboration and, um, put things in perspective for me for what I wanted moving forward and what I would sort of demand of myself in terms of like what I would put up with, with other people if they were assholes mm -hmm. uh, and also what I ex expect from myself um, in terms of drive and creativity. So when Wet Hot American Summer came along and I, you know, assume they, they asked you to play that role of, of Victor, um, that, did that feel like a, a no brainer in your career to go back and, and be with those guys and, and make this movie that you, you know, didn't know what it would be at the time, um, but has, has also like Party Down become quite a phenomenon. Well, here's, I, I think this story is out there, but I wasn't supposed to play Victor. Victor was supposed to play um, um, uh, the Sam um, uh, Rockwell. Oh. Sam Rockwell. I didn't, I'd never heard that story. And, and I was, I think I was on the slate for the dude who creates wind with his hands or something. Oh. <laughs> and then Rockwell. That would have been different. Rockwell was shooting um, Charlie's Angels and it went over. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is, I think it's, <laughs> It's, been, um, it's only so been 21, 22 they years. Called, so. They called me up and they said, hey, do you want to uh, audition for uh, uh, <laughs> Victor? And I, and I was like, are you kidding? Yeah, 
<laughs> you're after after five years of auditioning for, I'm for like, everybody there's else. No way. I go, if you'd like me to play Victor, I'm, I'd be happy to play it. If you if you want to audition people, feel free. That's fine too. Yeah, but <laughs> come on, but come on guys. Move. I don't know if I was a dick dick move, but I was like, you know, like, you know, you know what I'm going to do with it. How far away is this goddamn river? It's at least two hours, Vic. Please try to forget about Abby. I can't, Neil, okay? This is my only chance. Right, what, what are you talking about? Neil, I'm going to tell you something, but I swear to God, if you tell anybody, I swear to God. What? What? Uh, I'm a virgin. <laughs> you're joking, right, dude? I mean, you're a stallion, man. You're, I had like 50 or 60 women, so I mean, it's just, you know, it's like... Actually, it's closer to zero. Oh my god! Oh my god! You are a loser! You are a loser! So, um, so then they're like, "Oh no, no, no! Of course, play, play, play. So uh, that's that. That's how that went down. And then when we shot it, it was you know one of those incredible special experiences where we were all on uh, all in Pennsylvania on at this at this campsite, you know, at this summer camp, and we were there for however many days, and it rained for. 85% of those days. Um, but we were, we, but we slept in the bunks and we all kind of got to know each other. That's how I got to know Amy Poehler and Bradley Cooper and, um, A.D. Miles and Chris Maloney. Well, Chris Maloney, I just, I just shot, shot something with him before that. And then I got to do this with him. So like, it was like great to kind of see him again. And, um, you know, and, uh, Liz Banks and it, it was like this Molly Shannon, like it was just like this, yeah, way that that guy Paul Rudd. Paul Paul Rudd. I mean, I you know I was talking to somebody earlier. And I'm trying to figure out if, if I, I I knew Paul Paul before that because I think those guys were in New York and they did a they they did something with him. So I hung out with him a couple times. But then yes, I got to know Paul, who you know, I mean, yeah, he's been a major collaborator of yours. What's that? Yeah, I mean, I you know, to I've I've gotten to do many projects with him. He was the reason that. Um, you know, I got to do a movie I wrote early on called Diggers. You know, he said he would do it, and I thought that that was the. You know, I called him up and said, like, "Would you do this?" And, and without hesitation, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it." And I, I mean, I, I still think about that and how gracious and kind and wonderful that was, and how wonderful he was in it, and certainly helped to get that very small movie made. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Wet Hot and party down share a lot in common really but it's like those those projects that really weren't big hits at the time um but have had such a lasting impact and everyone's star has risen and kind of helped each other along the way it seems and that it's been really meaningful um you know both of those yeah there's a big overlap i think with those two projects in, in, in terms of like where everybody was how everybody feels about each other and you know where we are now and and you know, after Party Down, you know, any chance that I had to work with Ryan, with Martin, you know, with Lizzie, you know, Jane, I've done things with Ma, Ma you know, Ma, um, uh, Megan, I've done six, seven things. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, another sort of big moment you mentioned, uh, you know, writing uh, that seems important in your career is when you really started to work as a screenwriter. Um, on your own projects and then even, you know, coming on to, to other projects. Um, how did that change 
how you felt about the business, how you felt about your place in it, um, you know, what you were doing when you started, you know, the 10 and, and then role models and Wanderlust and these sort of increasingly big movies. Well, it goes back to Diggers, the movie I was talking about before that, which is a, which goes back to what I was saying about the state, which is it was a competitive and friendly, competitive nature. <laughs> yeah, so, you saw Tom and Ben out there? Ben came out to Hollywood and he started selling movies and then Mike Black started selling movies and I was like, well, I could do that. And so I was like, I'm going to write a funny movie. And then I wound up writing this dramedy about like a, a period piece in the 1970s on the South Shore, <laughs> you know, like a slice of life piece. And that's what came out. And that was sort of the first thing that I wrote. But then um, in doing that, I, you know, David helped you know, get that movie made, help produce it, um, and then kind of you know, hang with David. We we're like, hey, let's 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 do an experiment. Let's lock ourselves in a room for seven days and come out with a first draft of a script. And so we did that, and that was the tent. We just, you know, with no ideas, we were like, from day one, we'll come up with a chalkboard of ideas mm-hmm. and we'll pick one. And then on day two, we'll bang out like what the structure is. And then on day, you know, five through seven, we'll bang out 20 pages a day. And then we'll have a first draft of a script. And then let's see what that is. And so yeah, it's did, almost like a, a sketch sketch comedy approach to, to writing in that condensed time period uh, compared to how, you know, most people do it. Sure. I mean, per- perhaps. I don't know. I mean, you know, screenwriting is so different for so many different people. But, um, you know, after we write, after we did it for s- seven days and had that hard copy that we were able to hold and feel and be like, oh, this is the bones of something. Um, then it took, you know, months and months and months and months of rewrites or, you know, with that and with um, role models and with wanderlust and things like that. Role models. Wanderlust, we did the same process. And Role Models was David King's project. Um, and then he asked me to come in and we banged out a brand new script based on the script that existed. Yeah, I mean, Role Models, talking about cult hits versus, you know, big hits. I believe Role Models was a was a pretty big hit. Did that feel different for you? I mean, was that was that was there an excitement around that? I mean, I was happy it was successful. You know, it's it's sort of like the state mentality that I was talking about earlier, which is like we just expected you know, things to be good or like the, if we, we, we expect it to have the opportunity to have that work to do good work because we've been focused on it. And so at the time, you know, I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. This will give us another opportunity to do something else. Uh, Wanderlust was your next one after that, uh, which is a movie that I really love. Um, so you said that was another one where you went in the room for, for seven days and, and banged it out. What were the why did you want to make a a movie about uh, communal living like that? David had uh, seen a movie that he recommended to me. It's like a Swedish movie, and I think it's called Together, if I remember correctly. And there's a scene in it that inspired sort of the whole sort of premise of, of Wanderlust. And so we just, you know, on day one, when we locked ourselves in a room uh, 12 hours a day for seven days straight, that's one of the seeds that came in, you know, one of the ideas that came up and that's what we ran with. And so that's, um, you know, we liked it because it was a big ensemble. We liked it because it was an environment that we hadn't sort of seen a big comedy at in the way we would tell that story. Um, yeah. You wrote a particularly big asshole for yourself in that one, I think. I did. Sometimes I don't write them for myself. And then David's like, 
should play that part. <laughs> and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's the huge asshole. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, but you were really funny saying those lines when we were writing it. Um, and I'd be like, and then of course, you know, there's a part of me that's like, I better get a part in this. And um, and I'm like, well, let me get, let me take the part of the thing that's you know easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you rented construction equipment. I do. Porta potties. What do you think? Construction workers hold it in all day? You know, here's a little business model for you, Mr. New York Fancy Pants. They shit, I rake it in. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. What are you grossed out by money? There's so many other, you know, credits that you've that we've touched on but haven't really talked about that um, you know, I, I want to just run through really quickly. Um Children's Hospital is a you know probably the the longest running show that that you did right, um, but kind of allowed you to do other stuff too. Um, what stands out from from that experience? Well, it's another. I mean, first thing that stands out is another group of people that got to know real well, and that they were all really wonderful, incredibly talented people. Um, and then to get to do a show that you know was so absurd. You know, it was sort of felt very sketchy and, and you know, I enjoyed getting to, to do that where there were no real rules. You know, you got, you got to, we kept changing the genres and we kept, you know, um, pushing the envelope on where we can go, and what we can do. And, you know, it, Cordry had a real clear vision of what he wanted to, what, what worked, what, you know, what was in the Bible of the, of the children's hospital world, what, what was... Uh, what we were allowed to do and what we weren't. And um, that was cool to, you know, to kind of work for somebody who had a very clear vision of what they wanted. As, as we, as we, as we kept making seasons, he, he became clearer and clearer. And I think we made some really, really funny shows. And the fact that it was like a 15 minute show or 11 minute show made for, you don't have to give it so much heart. You just got to kind of um, drill it comedy in a, in a yeah, despite that clear vision, I remember uh, Henry Winkler telling me that he had no idea why the show was funny. He just kind of went with it. <laughs> well, yeah, and then, and then you know to get to work with Henry Winkler is is he's another... great. He's hilarious in the show, but apparently he he just was uh he didn't really know what he was doing, but he just went. He's along for the ride. He's along for the ride. But I mean, you know, like that. That's one of the things that I just I, I keep pinching myself. You know, uh, in terms of like who I've gotten to work with this town at this point, you know, I've gotten to work with on Wanderlust, you know, Alan Alda, you know, uh, uh, Linda Lavin, you know, there are shows that I've worked with, like, um, I, I mean, I'm shooting a movie right now, uh, which check this off my bucket list. Uh, I'm shooting, I'm doing scenes opposite Eddie Murphy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, I just saw that announcement. Yeah. That's wild. Know, it's, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, especially the influence he had on me, you know, growing up, um, he taught me how to, I mean, to, how to deliver jokes and how to like, I could quote probably all of delirious for you if you want, but, um, <laughs> that would take a while. <laughs> um, but he, you know, I've just been very lucky with Henry Winkler and, and Alan Alda and now, you know, Eddie Murphy and all these different people that I get to work with. It's, it's, Ed Bigley Jr. Eastbound and Down was a pretty special one too, I imagine. A uh, pretty unique show. Eastbound and Down, Eddie, you know, I mean, um, uh, Danny McBride. I don't think he can get funnier. Uh, I loved that first season. You know, when it came out, and when I got a call, and they were like, "Hey, would you want to 
be in this. Um, I think I was like, <laughs> I think I was like, was there nudity? <laughs> Is that a question? I don't know what. And, and he's like, no, but you will have to ride one of those uh, jetpacks. And I was, and he sent me a picture, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other two um, is is really one of my favorites. I think such a um, underrated show in a lot of ways. So funny, um, and you're so funny on it. Uh, you got to reunite with Molly Shannon from uh, What Had American Summer for that one. Um, yeah, what what sort of uh, what appealed to you about about that show, and, and what has it been like? Um, I mean, Chris I and you... Sarah's Chris and Sarah's writing is top notch. I think this is their first project after leaving SNL and, and they were head writers there and um, the scripts were tight and funny and ridiculous and absurd and then had so much heart and warmth to it. You know, Chris's movie, um, other people, you know, I had seen that before I read the script and I was like, oh, he knows how to balance that and, and all the absurd stuff he's going to do it the way that I is my favorite way to do it, which is try to find a way to make it real and ground it, even if it's super absurd, because to me, that's the funniest way. That's the way it's the, it, it, that's the way it's most funny to me. Um, if I were watching something, that's the stuff that affects me the most. And so Chris and Sarah uh, were, really good at that. These are the Sims? I think so. This is Chase's new manager. <laughs> Streeter. Streeter, I've heard so much about you, too. Ooh. I mean, I promise you, I will take care of your little bro. Yeah, sure. He's a special dude. He's, he's talented, yet he's humble. Also sexy, but he's a businessman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's 13, but an icon. The girls are horny for him, yet they respect him, and he respects them. He respects everyone. He is everything to me. He's my best friend. I was going to ask you about season three. Did you already filmed uh, season three of the other two? Yeah, it's wrapped. Yeah. Yeah. Here. I got a little worried when HBO Max started randomly canceling TV shows uh, for you, you guys. You, you and me both. Yeah. But I, it seems like maybe you dodged that bullet, although I don't know. They've just taken things off that have already been shot. So that's <laughs> Stop talking about it. Stop putting it out there. <laughs> stop saying things. I don't like, want it to happen. I don't want. Oh, I, then stop no. saying. <laughs> well, that it would get picked up somewhere else. It'll be fine. That's uh, right. No, but I don't. I think that'll be fine either way. It's a great show. If you're listening, HBO Max, don't do anything bad to the other two. Um. So yeah, I mean, besides uh, besides getting to act opposite Eddie Murphy and um, I know you're doing some directing. You directed on the new season of Party Down. Are there are there aspirations? Are there goals? Are there things that you haven't done yet in your, you know, thirty plus years in in this business that you still want to do? Yeah, I mean, I I just like doing it. So you know, I don't. I mean, I you know, are there types of genre movies that I would like to do? Sure. Uh, would I like to direct more things? I'm hoping to direct until uh, you know I'm I'm dead. Um, so you, you got to compete with Showalter. He's really uh, taken off in that. Really has taken off, which is great. Um, and you know, I would love to continue directing the two movies that I did direct. I enjoy doing, and I think they are good movies and fun and have heart. And I would like to continue doing that. And then you know, um, it's always fun to play different characters. So you know, I've gotten, like I've said, up to this point, I've been you know uh, been given the gift of 
being able to do that. Uh, I hope to continue to do that. Um, I enjoy doing it. I like acting. I think it's fun. Um, and uh, I love directing. I think it's uh, you know, the ultimate challenge and uh, a lot of fun. No, that's okay. Your wife, is everything okay? Hope so. Oh, I hung up on her. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you go shortly, but I want to do our final segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to run through some some firsts and, and get some quicker answers from you. Uh, so going back to childhood, what's the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid that you can remember? It's either The Muppets or it's, um, or it's uh, you know, Jerry Lewis. Hmm, that feels right. Uh, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? The first time I wanted to, I don't know, I don't know when the first time I was funny is. I mean, I I remembered my the first joke that I feel like I made up, which is what is this, and it was just a, a, a my my hand doing this, and my the punchline was Kermit the Frog naked, and I was very proud of that joke. Um, and that was when I was pretty young and into the Muppets. Um, I was kicked out of my uh, friend's home. This girl, uh, because I was working for a landscaper, and the dad of this girl was like, "Hey, uh, does um, does uh, Jerry lay sod?" Asking about the, the landscaper I work for, and I said, uh, "I don't know what he does in his personal time." <laughs> and I didn't realize how offensive that joke was to him, but he kicked me out. So those were the first couple of jokes that I remember. Can you quickly uh, explain the origin of? I want to dip my balls in it. Yeah, uh, MTV wanted us to do recurring characters, and for whatever reason, we had a you know a, a, a stick up our butt about not doing that because we didn't want to. We wanted to be anti at the time. We wanted to be anti SNL, right? Like we didn't want to do recurring characters. We didn't want our sketches to be long, you know, kind of stuff. Um, and so they insisted, and so um, we did. David and myself and uh, every, everybody shared like cubicles. So there were four people to a room or two or three people to a, a cubicle rather. And um, David Wayne had a tendency to have his hands down his pants. And he also had a tendency to have a, a jar of peanut butter next to his computer. And sometimes he would take his fingers and eat, eat the peanut butter. And, I, and one day I, I thought it was uh, like he was... Um, his hands were down his pants. I'm like, why don't you, that's disgusting. Why don't you dip your balls in it? And then somehow we kept saying that. And then somehow we were like, okay, what if that's the recurring character we give them as a nephew to the people who, the people who gave us a job? Yeah. We're like, <laughs> yeah. we're going to, we're going to give the, you know, like, yeah, we'll show you. We'll show, we'll show you guys who gave us our own show. Um, <laughs> so we, we came up with a character who just says his catchphrase over and over again. And, we thought we would do it in one show. We'd have all these um, rock stars and different guest stars talk about the Louis sketch as if it was a recurring thing forever. And then at the end of that sketch, it was the guy who dips his balls in it. And then we did it. And then they were like, great, do some more. And we're like, there's nothing to do. It's just <laughs> we did it already. catchphrase over and over again. But then actually that challenge was kind of cool because we came up with one of my favorite uh, state sketches, which was Louis in the Last Supper. Everybody! I want to dip my balls in it! 
Do you have an audition story from your career that stands out either because it went particularly well or particularly not well? I was just, I don't, um, I mean, I have a lot, but I would, I would say that the one I was just talking to somebody about, which was embarrassing is my audition for dodgeball. I, I, I decided for whatever reason, I guess I wasn't having, having luck just going in and auditioning in my regular clothes. I was auditioning for the pirate. Uh, I don't even recall what the pirate does, but I think Alan Tudyk plays the pirate. Right. It's a strange character in the movie. Strange character. So I went dressed as a pirate uh, and I had to park several blocks away from the <laughs> audition. And I'm walking to the audition with a fake parrot on my shoulder, dressed as a pirate, already like spiraling in my head, like, was this a good idea? And I, Larry Charles, who just directed me, uh, just produced a pilot that John Favreau directed that I was in with Noah Emmerich called Smog. Ooh, wow, that sounds up. great. I didn't get picked up. And so I, so I, I just did something with him six months earlier, but we had a very nice time. And then here I am walking down a street in Beverly Hills or wherever the hell I was, dressed as a pirate, and this car comes come, comes the other way and rolls Larry Charles and rolls down the window and he's like, Ken, is that you? And 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 I was I couldn't have been more embarrassed. Um, and I was like, Yes, it is. Um, nice to see you. I have to uh, leave now and go audition for a pirate. And then I sat in a room with other people who were not dressed as pirates, didn't get the part, and went back to my car and um, probably wept. <laughs> you know, they were all looking at you going, oh, I should have dressed as a pirate. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were like, I'm glad I didn't dress as a pirate. Uh do you uh, have a story about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes and just what it was like to meet them for the first time? I mean, Alan Alda uh, on 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 Wanderlust, you know, David and I cast him and we're like, well, let's offer it to Alan Alda, but he's not going to say yes. But I mean, let's might as well. Right. And Alan Alda was a huge influence on me just in terms of like, comedic acting and what how he how he acted in uh, MASH and his kind of his essence and his personality. So to get to meet him and then to realize, much like Henry Winkler, another one, much, uh, you know, get to realize that they were a hundred times kinder and nicer and smarter and funnier than you anticipated them to be. Like that was, those were, that was a gift. And then you know, the Eddie Murphy thing that just happened is, is sort of surreal to me. That I can't have my head on. And I've been able to, have, you know, have a couple of nice little conversations with him. And he's a very nice man. Have you made him laugh yet? I made him laugh. I made him laugh, um, but not because I was asking, not because I was trying to be funny. I just made him laugh with a question where he was like, come on, man. <laughs> can, you tell, can you tell me the question? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, this was uh, this was really fun, and um, I'm really glad we got to do it. And uh, check my my sixth member of the state off the list. Got to keep going. So you didn't get black. Who, who, who don't you have black? Yeah, black or Showalter. I, Showalter. Those, are, those are big ones. Yeah, I got to work on that. Yeah. Well, I can help you if you need to. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I'll just tell them uh, when I when I reach out. You know, Ken said you would do it. So. Go ahead. 
Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad uh, we got to do this, and and I'm so excited for the rest of the world to see the new season of Party Down because it is very fun. Thanks, man. I think you. Know, I think people will like it. If they like the first two seasons. It's it's more of the same in a really good way. All right. Thanks again to Ken Marino for being my guest on this week's show. Party Down Season 3 will be available to stream starting this Friday, February 24th, on the Stars app and all Stars streaming and on-demand platforms, and will also air on the Stars channel that night at 9 p.m. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.